social is where we should be focusing a lot of our paid marketing dollars. So right now, if you look at it in its pyramid, social's the little baby on the bottom, and then you have all the other things, retail media, connected TV, uh, all the other things on the top part. Well, that pyramid is going to tip over. So we need to flip it and we need to put the like TV on the bottom and have social on the top. And I'm not saying like organic social, I'm saying all social content. Welcome back everybody. This is episode six of Creator Economy Live. As always, this is your one-stop shop for all the hot takes and news on the creator economy. We are your hosts, Keith Bendis and Brennan Gann, and today we have a very special guest, the wonderful, the fabulous, fresh off her can trip, Denise Vitola. Denise, welcome to the pod. Thanks for joining us, Denise. Happy to be here. I'm very honored and excited to be amongst the greatness that you guys exude. (laughs) (laughs) That's very generous. Is Brendan, are you still in denial over your bitterness of not being in France, or have you accepted it? I have mixed feelings. Like, uh, yeah, I feel like it's weird being at the Anaheim Convention Center and then pulling up your Instagram stories and see people on, like, yachts with celebrities drinking rosé, and you're like, I know I'm... Rationally, I feel like I've made the right decision, but I am so envious at the same time. Well, I have to say, I definitely had some uh, remorse that I was not at VidCon. And I think, for me, the real remorse is that VidCon is so 100% creator and digital. Because that's not what Can is all about. However, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but it's getting there. Before we get into Ken, because I do want to hear your learnings and, and your feelings and thoughts, Denise, but for people who don't know you and what you're doing at Bayer, do you want to give a high level? So officially, my title is the VP Brand Integration for PR, Social, and Influencer. And really, when you break that down, what that means is offering our brand's holistic uh, campaign execution ideas in those three spaces and making sure they're integrated and working really well together because the sum of all parts is greater than just the one thing. We all know that. We learned that a long time ago. But uh, at Bayer, we were certainly in our infancy or not even born yet when it came to influencer and digital organic social and things like that, or even doing PR, honestly, in a holistic way. And I came and took that on as a job happily because I have so much passion in the space of influencer and organic social. And uh, we've been doing excellent work, winning awards and growing and moving in the right direction. Because as you both know, influencer is a it's growing at a rapid pace. It's taking over a lot of things and it is poised to take over even more. And I just want to make sure that our organization is first on deck and not last on deck like we were a few years ago. I'm curious, like uh, your career trajectory in terms of getting into influencer marketing, what's your background before Bayer and sort of bringing them into the space? It's an interesting one, and I'm glad you asked because part of my experience and getting into the influencer space, it was just a passion. So 
back when there was blog her and i don't even know if anybody listening even knows what blog her is but i'm sure you guys do i remember uh which was so long ago and it was all about the mommy blogger and then it sort of evolved to vloggers you guys remember like vloggers became a big deal and we were like looking at blogs and vlogs and then the influencer started to come to life a little bit. And I was in on the early stages of that. And I was fascinated by it. And I was befriending a lot of these mommy bloggers and a lot of these influencers and, and just so passionate about it that I kept saying to myself, I want to try this. And I worked with brands that were uh, taking calculated risks and they were very brave and wanted to do this and worked with TJ Maxx and Marshalls. And we did a lot of things with, with influencers in the early stages. In fact, we were one of the first brands to incorporate influencers into some of their commercials. And uh, I had the pleasure of working on P&G and again, embracing it in its early stages. So I've been on it. And as I sort of went through my career, I said, you know, I'm purposely going to make sure I'm shifting everything that I do into this more digital space. And that's exactly what I did. So I went through the agency world. Last job in the agency world was working at an integrated marketing agency. I was the president of the agency and we were leading heavily into all digital and all the things. Branched off on my own. When I branched off at my own, I carved out some time to be an influencer. And I wanted to have that experience. I didn't know if I was taking it anywhere, what I was doing with it, but I wanted that experience too. And I had a lot of fun with it and realized quickly that it's a ton of work. And I was like, okay, I need to hire photographers and I need editing skills and all the things that go with it, which I was happily doing. But I really love the marketing side of it. So I think what I offer to companies that I work at and the partners that I work with is this influencer experience, this sort of agency experience and this brand experience that is really helping all three agencies, influencers and brands really support that sort of world in an appropriate way. Do you want to talk through, just because Bayer is technically pharma, I know you focus on consumer health, which is more over the counter, but there are nuances to the way you have to operate. Do you just want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I do work on the consumer health side. So I don't want to give myself too much credit and be like, I have cracked the code with influencers in the pharma industry. But we are regulated, especially one of our products is Bayer Aspirin, and it's highly regulated. And there's only certain people that should take it. And we always say, consult your physician before taking it. And it's it's just something that we have to be very sensible of what we're saying. So With that, though, I tell people all the time, anything that you pick up or put your hands on, whether it's in consumer health, whether it's in pharma, approach it as as, as a consumer packaged good, as a CPG that you really just want to reach the consumer. And what's the most effective way to reach the consumer? Figure that all out and then try it. And then when you're sitting in those rooms where everybody wants to tell you no and everybody wants to take the glitter out of your sparkle, ask why. Why can't I do this? And show them, look at, hey, look at what our competitors are doing. Our competitors are doing this. So if they're doing it, why can't we? Challenge it. Don't just sit back and accept it. And if you're willing to push and you're willing to ask those tough questions, then you'd be surprised in what you can accomplish. And that's really what's been happening at Bayer. Why can't we do that? Why can't we put a bear next to our product? Like, why does that matter? So And at the end of the day, we've been able to produce some great work because I always want to leave the creative side to the influencer. They know their audience. They know what their audience is going to react to. And if I'm sitting here and scripting them out too much, 
the content's going to fall flat on its face. And they're quite honestly not going to want to work with us again. Like these people are terrible to work with. They wrote the script. It's not really content I want on my platform. And it makes them look negative and their brand look bad. And I don't want to be that kind of, of partner. What do you think you learned as a creator yourself that is translated to your role now? Or what was the most eye-opening experience that you think you're able to sort of tap into? Brands don't know Jack. They really don't. They don't. (laughs) They don't. And it's like, they know their brands. I know influencer. So I'll leave that brand stuff to you and leave this stuff to me. And I don't think there's enough respect in that value equation. So in that, I know you know what you're doing. I'm going to trust you. You're a smart person. You know audience segmentation. You know how to create content. It's it, it's almost as if like you've gone to a mom and pop shop and you're asking somebody to do something. How do you think somebody got to a million followers? That you have to be really good at what you do. And I don't think that there's enough respect there. And that's sort of what I was feeling. It's like, oh, young lady, let me tell you how to talk about my my leggings. And it's like, I, I wear them. I know. And I know what my audience is interested in when I talk about leggings. And you want me to talk about the breathability and nobody gives a crap about that. They want to hear about the, you know, movability when you're in the gym. So I think that the biggest eye-opening learning is just uh, you have to embrace these people as experts and really smart people. That's why even Tim and you, like we were talking about this a little bit, Brendan, of just how important it is for us who are in this industry, serving this industry on the brand side, on the agency side, on the strategy side, actually dabbling in content creation ourselves so we have any idea how it works even if we're not going all in as a creator ourselves just being able to create content on an ongoing basis and understand how it works i think is so important because even and we'll go into can themes but one theme i heard in new york and i think we all hear this all the time is people go on stage and they say authenticity authenticity like let the creators do what they do best don't breathe them too much but i think there's two really important things that are happening in our industry that we really do have to address one is, it's not like every person who runs influence on the brand side wants to add 50 do's and don'ts and 60 legal requirements to a brief. It's coming from somewhere and it's not up to them. And so there's one thing of, yes, that brand doesn't need to be told we should make it more authentic and less prescriptive. They have to do it. And so we have to solve that problem, which is one thing. The second, which I actually think gets talked about even less, and Denise, you know this better than anyone, is most of the time the person executing influence on the brand side is not in complete control of either the budget, the creative strategy, or both. And so either they have to present it to the brand lead, the GM lead, whoever, or companies like mine, Linkia, have to present it. And we all know that the best output of content would be this. Find people who love our brands, who are great at creating content, hand them our products, walk the hell away and let them do their thing. But that doesn't get approved at the highest levels. The more prescriptive the creative, the more the brand envisions it, the more they buy into it, the more they want to support it. But the worse the brief, because now you're too prescriptive with the creator. And we have to solve those two things. And the reason I love bringing you into combos, Denise, and having you on stage is because you're not just saying, be authentic, let creators do their things. You are literally solving those two problems at a major organization. And that's why you're up there winning big awards. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for that. I think it has to do with, and I'm not calling anybody stupid. I, I just want to be clear because I think people mistake what I'm about to say. It's like, leave the work to the expert. So I'm an expert and influencer. You're a brand manager and you are not going to know everything that I know. Plus, I'm, I'm probably 20 years older than you and been doing this since mommy blogger days. And you were probably getting your diapers changed by a mommy blogger. So it's like, if you enable and trust and allow me to do the job that I have at the company, then you're going to look good. So just let me do the job that I need to do. Now, why is it successful at Bayer? Again, I'm going to look like an arrogant jerk and people are going to be like, who is this woman? But it's because I, I'm a force. So I don't take no for an answer. I challenge everything. I ask tough questions. I tell people no. And it takes a certain kind of personality to get things moving along because you're going to hurt people's feelings. You're going to offend them. Somebody's going to hear this and likely it might be somebody at my company and say, you know, and that's fine. I'm not trying to make friends with everybody. I just want to do great work and I want nothing more than to, to, to be hugely successful in the work that I do. And if you're going to be in the way of that, then you're, you're going to get run over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as hot as the creator economy is, and we might be in a bubble sometimes in industry, we're the hot thing. We're still one of the smallest piece of the broader media marketing pie. And so we are the underdog. And to your point, if you want to really have a seat in the boardroom, and that is what's happening now, influencers getting to be a large enough spend at organizations that it's now a seat at the boardroom. You need people in there fighting for this, who understand how to measure it, who understand how to pitch for it, who understand how to get budget and control so that they can actually make the right decisions. Fully agree. Uh, One thing too, I'll I'll sort of like, I think the, uh, we're talking a lot about how important it is on the, you know, agency and marketer side to take the creator's perspective. I will say, while I 100% agree, I think one arena that often goes undiscussed is creators don't often times do themselves any favors. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. They need to also understand too, but you're you're right, Brendan, and sorry to cut you off, but I, I want to emphasize that it's true. Yeah, because it's like they would make their lives so much easier and get so many repeat brand dollars if they were sort of like, okay, I signed a contract. I understand what this contract means. I understand how to keep a timeline, hit due dates, follow brand guidelines, and just follow sort of just general basic, like, legal guidelines. Because oftentimes, a lot of that stuff just sort of gets glossed over. And I still fully am 100%. I'm not the biggest sort of, like, uh, I mean, we all are, but, like, gung-ho influencer marketing all the way. But it's not without its sort of its strife at times. (laughs) I want to touch on that, too, because I agree with you. And it's like, in general, like, don't wear a shirt that has a Nike swoosh on it. Like, these are things that are very easy to understand. And I feel one of the divisions that need to be created, like, I just feel like there's so many opportunity for influencer agencies right now that I almost wish I owned one because I have a million ideas. And one of them, and somebody could steal this because I don't have an influencer agency, is creating this sort of division within your company that is 
almost like an entrepreneurial arm that is helping influencers with all this stuff. So influencers will then come to your company to say, how do I work better with brands? How may, uh, we're, we're not going to get you brand deals, but we're going to do those kinds of things. And it's almost like this partnership because influencers too, they make all those mistakes, Brandon. And I ask my agencies, put them in the naughty box. We don't ever want to call them again. And they're missing out on tons of money because we do 15, 16, 17 campaigns a year. And if somebody's good, we'll invite them back. So now you're in the naughty box because you made like basic mistakes and that's not really um, helpful to them as as small business owners. A hundred percent. And I'm just going to do a shameless plug for a buddy. He's been doing this. He's like an ex-creator. I mean, he still is sort of a creator, YouTuber, and then launched an influencer marketing agency and has since transitioned into educating creators how to work with brands, get brand deals, close brand deals, and like sustain those relationships. And it's uh, Justin Moore, the creator wizard. And like, uh, I'm like always telling him, like every once in a while I'll see some post of his, I'm like, you're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> you're making, yes. Like if these creators, like if any of this retains, like it's going to make my life and my team's life so much easier down the line. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, Justin's great. Awesome. Creator Economy Live. Join Keith and Brendan live and in person, as well as hundreds of brands in Vegas on January 17th for lively conversation and debate about everything in the world of influencer marketing and the creator economy. It's also, it's mostly unforced errors to your point, Denise. It's not like the highly sophisticated things that trip a lot of them up. It's the very obvious blocking and tackling things. And to your point, we just need to get it right. The other two things that I think have to be discussed in this industry or at least if for creators, one is we can't, when we run a campaign, Denise, if there's 20 influencers in the program, we can't write 20 unique briefs. And so we love nothing more than if a creator comes back and goes, I get what you're trying to do. I love it. If I make this kind of adjustment, it's going to resonate really well with my audience. And I think I could still land everything you're trying to accomplish. We love that. Like, yes, yeah. go do that. I just We couldn't do a specific brief for you as one individual person, but give us your feedback. Don't just take it exactly as is. Think to yourself, this is going to suck with my audience and then go produce it. Give us the feedback to make it better. And then two is just rates. Like the rates have to make sense. I think micro, I posted something the other day that got a little bit of, con- I got a lot of texts and pings, but the rates are getting a little bit funky for a lot of these micro and mid-tier influencers. And I think we'll talk today about creators and all that trend that's happening, but you can't just price yourself to whatever you desire. Even if you think I'm spending this much time, it's worth it. You still have to understand what a brand return means and how they value an investment. Regardless, if you think you're worth it for your content creation skills, you have to prove results. And so those are the two things that I think if every creator thought about those two things much more deeply, they'd have a lot more success. I have one note on that and then we can move on. But um, a buddy of mine did, and I wrote a blog post about it. I'm blanking on his name, his, his name, but he actually did an analysis of, he got a bunch of data, I forget from where, around um, average creator size and uh, cost per post. It was for Instagram specifically. And everybody talks about sort of like, oh, go, you know, micro influencers and this and that. And like, Generally, it's like everything is sort of based off of your objectives and stuff. I don't think there's like a silver bullet. But when you look at it on a cost per engagement basis, at least then in this data is a few years old, 
working with the like top tier influencers was actually more cost effective on a per engagement level because at a certain point it's like a micro creator needs to charge at least a hundred bucks, but they they aren't necessarily getting the same level of engagement as like you know, there's like economies of scale as a critic gets really big when they're 10 million followers or whatever, you know, the uh, average cost per engagement might be whatever. I'm, these are round numbers, like, you know, 20 cents or whatever. But you're dealing with a, a really small creator who's maybe only 100 bucks or whatever, you know, 1,000 bucks. And the cost per engagement, when you do the math, breaks out to like 50 cents or a dollar. And so, you know, I, I love sort of breaking down the math side of things and seeing like, well, it's not always as clear cut. And then you have to take into account the time of managing creators, which we all know is labor intensive. <laughs> well, Denise, would you agree that if the math was this, and I feel like it, it was a lot closer a few years ago, if five creators at 25,000 followers equaled the same budget as one as 250, I'd probably take the five at 25 any day of the week because I think it's probably a more engaged and, and dedicated audience. But the trend of the last year, 18 months has been, it's not even close to that. Sometimes two at 25 is the same as that one at 250. Sometimes one at 25 is the same cost at 250. So just the math is getting a little bit out of whack sometimes. Yeah, I, I like more content and different types of content and influencers and creators, well, not so much creators, but influencers all the time are using themselves in the post. So I would like to have five different people and different forms of content because one of the things that I feel is a big miss is just giving, engaging an influencer and asking them to post and then you do nothing else with it. You have this content, you, I want you to use it everywhere and then we're going to put paid behind it anyway. So we're gonna make up on the back end. Our organic numbers might not look so hot, but our paid ones really do. And quite honestly, the paid data is really what the brand teams are looking at. And that's really what is, is proving out the program. So yeah, I, I think the whole who gets paid what is a conversation, like a longer conversation that needs to be unpacked because it is a little bit of the wild, wild west right now. I love supporting the creator content with paid. You spend so much time and effort getting it and negotiating it and managing that process. Scaling it up with paid makes so much economic sense. I think it's often overlooked. It really is. All right, let's. Do you want to dive into canned learnings? I'm I'm dying to hear. I don't even think we've really, other than your your jealous text messages that made me envy you. I don't think we've really dove into what you did take away from canned in your learnings. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, and for anybody that works in marketing in general. It is a must-do. And I've been before, but it had been many years since I'd been again. I forgot how much, it's almost, the way I can liken it is to when you're a kid and you're waiting for Christmas morning. Or when you get to Disney and you're, you first walk up and see the castle. Like, it's just this excitement. And I was like seeing people and learning so much and, and, and making interesting connections. And I think that is, is the main takeaway for me is like the networking and being amongst some of the industry's best. So you can go to a lot of places and network and meet people and you're like, nah, that was okay. But everybody I met there, I was like, I wanted to take their head and meld it into my brain and just listen to everything they had to say. People will talk about anything from 
the uh, being on the play and, and listening to the celebrities and everything they have to say. But for me and the parties and the boats and all of that, uh, all fun and did a lot of those things and have a lot of good memories to take away. But for me, it was about creators, community and creativity. And that's the track I followed. I didn't want to go sit in a meeting that was talking about uh, omni-channel or e-commerce or things like that, because that's not what I wanted to take away. And if somebody's going to can, they really need to focus their attention because there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the main building. And then every vendor, every person, everything has tons of things going on. So I said, okay, I'm going to pay attention to things that hit those three areas. And as for creators, there's a small portion still. It's not big enough. It's your point, Keith, is like, Marketers need to open their eyes and realize that this this is the way of the world and it needs to be like 75% of your budget moving forward and you need to start understanding it and leading in. Now, the fact that CAN was opening up the doors and bringing in more is great and I was happy to see that. But where the creative conversation was mostly happening was at TikTok or uh, at the Meta booth, or Wall Street Journal started bringing in, um, they started doing creator conversations, or if there were influencer agencies that had a space, that's where most of it was happening. That to me saddens me. It needs to be happening on the main stage. So that's where I did take away a lot of great stuff, but it wasn't really main stage material, okay? Now, that's the first thing about creators and then the community part of it. So my other sort of pedestal that I get on all the time is social is where we should be focusing a lot of our paid marketing dollars. So right now, if you look at it as a pyramid, social's a little baby on the bottom. And then you have all the other things, retail media, um, connected TV, uh, all the other things on the top part. Well, that pyramid is going to tip over. So we need to flip it and we need to put the like TV on the bottom and have social on the top. And I'm not saying like organic social, I'm saying all social content. So if you're trying to target where we're all talking about Gen Z and millennials, they don't care about TV. They don't care about all those other things. They're, they're literally attached to their phone and just absorbing everything there. The world has shifted and we're fighting it. We're, we're fighting it. And there were very small portion of conversations around that, but they were happening. And then the creative creative part of it, just being able to go into the basement and look at all of the work and damn, it was good. And seeing more influencer entries and seeing more social led programs really made me happy. So uh, that inspiration and everything that came out of that was definitely worth the trip and worth the time. And I do think that uh, going forward, it is going to be more rich in the areas that all of us work in. It is weird, the level of sort of cognitive dissonance. I think everybody rationally sort of knows, hey, I'm spending 90% of my time on the phone, but like I'm never turning on the TV, or if I am, it's like to watch Hulu or YouTube. And yet TV still is sort of put on this pedestal, and I cannot for life me understand that. It drives me crazy. So I love everything you're saying. Yeah, like even connected TV, like everybody's like, connected TV is the way to go. And I'm like, "Um, I spend four extra dollars a month to skip your ass. 100%. Okay? So, like, let's really get with it. Like, 
you can see I'm getting like excited about this and maybe not in a, in a very positive way, but it's just, I, I it's so obvious, but it's not. I know. It's just not as accepted as it should be. You saw the Google TrueView news yesterday where 80% plus or something was just complete garbage ad placement. And yeah, I, saw that. I just feel like, yeah. especially programmatic, uh, the rise of programmatic a decade ago, even at its hype cycle, I was probably Unilever back in that day. And even we as a company would openly say at least 50% of this is fraud. Like at least 50% is just fraud. And then you see this, and then TV had Nielsen for how long of just garbage data. And it's so weird to think that we have almost the best data on social, but there's still conversation of like, well, how much following is real of this influencer? And is it really delivering the message? It's a lot better than a lot of the alternatives that take up a lot more of your spend. So it is weird. But I love your observation because I didn't think of it this way. I got really excited about Cam because I thought the non-center stage, all the other stuff, Creator was probably, what, 5 10% of the show last time, the last three years. And this time it felt like it was like 60 70% of the non-main. But I didn't think about the fact that it's still almost non-existent on the main stage. And that's what really needs to change for Can moving forward. Denise, any like key learnings coming out of it? And by the way, you didn't even plug, you buried the lead that you actually... Bayer won a can lie. That was Congrats. a pretty big deal. I saw pictures of you on stage, so I feel like we should address that as well. We did. We won gold, bronze, and silver for Clarendon Diversity, and it was very exciting. And uh, it's about tree equity. It's about equality. And it's a great program. And I think the message of just really a brand who serves everyone in allergy going out and saying, let's eradicate the world from allergy from the trees that are producing allergies is very profound and i think that's really why it won because it's it's not a self-serving message it's actually the opposite of it so uh it did it won gold bronze and silver and it's a program that i worked on with the team there was a, obviously it takes a a village to do this stuff and and it was so fantastic to win and if you follow me on LinkedIn, I try to put up interesting content. I hope people think it's interesting. And I did put up something and I said, I spent so much time in the basement looking. And even yesterday I went on the website and I was looking at more things and I can't tell you how to win. I wish I could, because maybe I'd have a bunch of lions around here. But uh, what I really was so excited about was the connection to culture and the connection to the human truth. So things that were really obvious, people were leaning into it and and pairing that, whether it was with purpose or a diversity message, and really making it so interesting in a surprising way. So they were kind of like pairing all of these things up. And I believe people are getting braver. They're getting braver and really taking more of those calculated risks. And one of the programs that I loved, and it's funny because I don't know that everybody else did, but it was so cool and it was a shortlisted. First of all, Heinz like entered, I think, probably 15, 1,500 categories, but good for them. But there's this, uh, it was the uh, Heinz up and down bottle. So you know how they created the Heinz bottle that is, is sort of reversed and, you know, you squeeze it out. Well, they had an insight that even though they reversed the bottle so that the ketchup can fall to the cap and you could squeeze it out easily, people still put it down upside down. 
And then, so I was reading this case study and my husband does that. He puts the stupid bottle in the refrigerator upside down. And every time I open the refrigerator, I flip it the other way. And I'm like, why does he do that? That's so annoying. And they created an entire campaign around it, no matter how you like the bottle, like, and they got tons and tons of coverage. But for me, I was so excited about it because I'm like, I need to call Heinz because I have good ideas. They need to execute a survey of like how many marriages are breaking up over this, how many roommates have been banned because of, of this, which way the bottle's supposed to go. Well, they created a bottle that flips both ways. So there's a cap on both ends, which was super cool. So you got product production into it. They did some at-home stuff and they did some real good social stuff. And, and that's the kind of thing that was inspiring me. And another case study that I saw that I really loved was uh, for um, the, the Down Syndrome International Organization. And they did a virtual influencer. And Keith, you know this because I've talked about it. I was obsessed for a bit about working with, uh, you know, virtual influencers and using AI to create influencers, but I'm not real sure how consumers will react to it. Well, they did this alongside, and I can't remember her name, but a gal who works in the fashion industry and she's done runway shows. She has Down syndrome and got her as a consultant and worked to create a virtual influencer that had all the features of somebody with Down syndrome. And the program was just so genius and it was really successful. And I really loved seeing that because it's new technology, new innovation, influencer, which I love, and a great idea that was really hugely successful. So those are some of the things that really got me going that I was seeing. Yeah. It's the stuff that you can actually extract a lesson and apply it that I think is the most interesting. Like the Heinz is so interesting because it's identify the insight, hone in on the insight, connect that to product innovation. Like that ecosystem, I think is really inspiring. Rapid fire. All right. So if you could consume only one platform for content, which would you choose? TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn? Instagram, hands down. I just love the visuals. Totally. I just love the visuals and it's just really stimulating for me and inspirational. I think that just fill, fills my cup and gives me a lot of like visual stimulation. Awesome. Great answer. Favorite creator of all time. I have to give a shout out to my girl, uh, Jamie Hess, NYC Fit Fam. And she not only creates awesome content, she is a true brand storyteller. And the reason being is Jamie started her career in PR and she gets it. And she really understands how to partner with brands, but she's not just an influencer. She's a podcaster. She is an inspirational speaker and she does so many things. So she's just really, she works on QVC. She's a girl boss and she's really nailing it. And if you don't follow her, I highly recommend she does great things. I have a lot of respect for people who can manage multiple formats, especially traditional and a digital media, I feel like your talent must just be through the roof to be able to accomplish that. A favorite brand of all time? Feel free to plug any of your own. Well, you know, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that brands really truly get it yet, right? They think they want to show up and be brands on these social platforms, but no one's going to look at brands. You're going there to look at puppies, fitness advice, fashion advice, beauty advice. So I keep encouraging brands to just forget about all that. Like show up as a friend, show up as a person. 
try to get people to want to be friends with you. And it's just really as simple as that. But I, I don't know that anyone 100% nails that. I used to be obsessed with Slim Jim. I think Bugles does interesting content. I love Q, the QSR space. I do think that like Duncan and some of those brands, but if you just went to their social channels on some of these platforms, it is heavily branded. So I don't know what anyone's nailing it, but I will say I do think that, I don't know if you guys have gone down this rabbit hole, but Library Talk on TikTok, some of those brands, like the, let me tell you, the Pima County Library, you will thank me later. It is, the, these libraries, I'm like, they are nailing it. That's amazing. I'm going to check this out. That is not where I thought you were going with that answer. I'm definitely checking this out. Well, I am a book, book nerd. <laughs> Favorite viral video of all time? So I don't know if you guys remember this, but when the Minions movie came out, the last Minions movie, there were people showing up at the theaters, mostly guys, like in suits. And uh, they started posting videos and doing some really fun stuff. And then Pixar leans in, or yes, yeah, Pixar, I think, or Universe, who cares? But then they started posting some content as well. And they really leaned in in a smart way. And this took off. And I just love the Minions. And I just thought it was a really cool play. And, and it, it was great how that happened and the brand brand or movie or whatever leads into it. It's really cool. If you were to start over again as an influencer today, what would be your specialty? It would still be health and wellness and fitness. It really would be. Um, and helping people find their health, health journey along the way. Love it. All right, cool. Well, now we're moving on to our next segment. Cow bow, we call it. Creator of the week, brand of the week, and then follow, unfollow. Keith, who is your creator of the week? My creator of the week, especially because Denise is here and she knows Dr. Tim. So Dr. Tim is approaching a million followers on Instagram. So let's get him past a million. He's an oncology hospitalist. He treats cancer patients, but his content is very much health tips from a doctor, nutrition, lifestyle. Uh, we had him out actually with Denise's company to do a speaking thing and he was fantastic. So he just does great work, great content. He started the channel, I think he said under a year ago. So almost a million Instagram followers in under a year. That's wild. I think healthcare professional influencers are going to, we're going to see a, a, a nice business for them moving forward. I love that. I'm going to go with Lex Friedman for mine, just because uh, he posted in the last week doing jujitsu with both Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and Elon Musk. And I think this is the most just like it, out there thing in the world, like was not on my 2023 predictions by any means and i would love to see the two of them do this like mma match i don't think it's gonna actually happen but i love that it might and i think it's so hilarious so lex friedman who's your money on zuck between zuck he's been training elon realizes how fit zuck is now i agree i agree denise what about you who's your creator of the week I'm going to go with Drea Knows Best. And uh, she's a TikToker, a Nigerian woman who creates some hysterical content, just, just like living in the life as a Nigerian woman. And she's like offering advice. And I met her at the TikTok in Cannes. And uh, I just, girl crushing on her. And I think it's worth a follow for her too. Amazing. 
Now we're moving on to our bow brand of the week. Keith, who is your brand of the week? Mine's Poppy. I don't know if either of you know Poppy. It's a prebiotic soda. See everywhere now. Yeah. So they they just launched their first kind of big omni-channel campaign. It's called Soda's Back. The reason I'm doing I like them, and Denise, you and I have been screaming this on the top of rooftops for years. They're taking influencer content and they're putting it into every channel, everywhere. Display, digital at a home, OLV, everywhere. And this is what every brand should be doing. They're even taking the tweets, putting the tweets, the comments in the main creative of the campaign. This is good work. This is how you take influencer content. Influencer content is not just a social construct. It is a total communications construct. Shout out to Poppy. I love this campaign. Love that. I'm going to go with Yeti just because uh, I was trying to think about a brand in the creator space that isn't super obvious. And I think in general, Yeti partners with creators, but they really focus on relevancy over reach in a way that um, I think is a testament to sort of them sticking to their guns as a brand and they get great stories out of it. And obviously they've got great products. So I've got Yeti as my brand of the week. Denise, what about you? Brand of the week. I'm going with Elf. The makeup brands, I'm going to suggest a, a a guest on the show. I, at Cannes, saw Crystal, I think her last name's Hauserman, and she's the CMO at ELF. And she is an incredible storyteller. She loves influencer and social, really leans in. They had that great work that they did at the Super Bowl uh, with... Um, Gosh, White Lotus woman, I can't remember her name, why not? Um, Jennifer Coolidge. When she was talking and just the boldness of like, uh, she was talking about yes energy and uh, why the elf not and like just everything she was saying about community and, and building that community and why they went from the fifth brand, beauty brand, to the third. And she's proud to be the third because they're like like a fourth of the budget of what those like L'Oreal's and Revlon's of the world are making. So uh, definitely uh, a cool brand and she's an interesting person too. I love that one. Yeah, they've done incredible work and continuously disrupt the space, do great partnerships. Yeah, weren't they the one that did the Chipotle partnership last year? What was the Chipotle palette of eyeliner? And at first you're like, what the hell, a Chipotle eyeliner palette? Then you're like, this is brilliant. Yes. And that's what she said. She goes, when somebody presents an idea to me or when I take it to her, her boss and, and her boss is cringing in the seat, she goes, I know I have to do it. And I was literally like, yes, that's me. That's me. Like, because anything that scares me, I'm like, this, this is good. This is good. We need to do it. And, and she was telling that story about the Chipotle palette. Love that. I love it. Follow, unfollow. Keith. I got quick ones. My follow is Instagram finally letting users download reels. I'm excited about that. I think this came very late, but the fact that you could download content now through Instagram, I think makes it a lot easier to share, collaborate, do, et cetera. So that's my follow. My unfollow is RIP LinkedIn removing native carousels. They also removed profile videos that I don't think I care about, but the, and then in image links they removed too. So in image links and native carousels, kind of like those on LinkedIn. So unfollow that move by LinkedIn. Yeah, I feel like they they must have been getting a lot of like clickbait style content or something. I feel like that was most of what I was seeing in carousels, but there were a lot of people creating great content, but it did seem like an like almost engagement hack. You're like, yeah. and then 
click through to see what's next, like that kind of thing. So I imagine that was the rationale, but uh, yeah, I agree. Mine, I'm just going to loop back and go back to this Zuck and Elon thing, because I just think it's hilarious. I so badly want it to happen, but if I'm going to pick sides, I already kind of alluded to it, but I'm going to go follow Zuck. I think he's got this. He's been training jiu-jitsu. He's been getting in shape. He's like out there in Hawaii. We talked before. He did the Murph in like some crazy <laughs> fast time, and I'm going to unfollow Elon on that. I just don't think he's in the... I mean, who knows? Maybe he got jacked or something and it's working out, but the sense I get is he's not at that level <laughs> that Zuck is physically. He's also way older. So if we were going to bet, that would be uh, where I'd place my bets. Denise, how about you? Mine is Claudia Ashri, and uh, she uh, has a podcast called The Toast. And recently somebody told me to start listening to it. And it might be so, a little bit of a chick thing, so I'm not sure that, that you guys would like it, but it's literally it's so hysterical and she's hysterical and she's so authentic and real and her social channels are interesting and fun too. And they have a lot of interesting guests that they crack on and it's just, they, they just make fun of themselves and it's pretty cool. So that's worth it. Uh, the toast and Claudia Oshry unfollow. And the reason why I didn't want to say too much is grimace shake is because that's my unfollow. I'm literally like on TikTok and I'm like, Am I watching porn? It's getting like, weird. The content's getting this, super weird. Is this the weird. Blair Witch Project? Like, like, what is going on? Like, people are taking it, like, vomiting on themselves, and they're on the floor. And then this one chick, uh, I was like, what is going on there? And I'm like, I'm not really. And I'm like, oh, Grimace, you poor guy. It's your birthday. Like, And I'm like, not really. <laughs> I would love to see the person who, like, has to explain this in the boardroom. <laughs> Grimace shake and like what's happening on TikTok. So I'm like, I couldn't follow that because it kind of freaks me out and it creeps me out when I'm like, you know, because everybody was talking about it. I'm like, okay, so I need to hashtag and go look at it. And I did on TikTok and I was like, and I don't want it to like get in my algorithm in any way. So McDonald's claims that they have nothing to do with this. They claim they didn't start this, they didn't fuel it, they claim this is pure organic. I, I believe Not the organic, it. I, I want. <laughs> can you imagine trying to sell that through internally and then actually pulling it off? I feel like it's too weird. I mean, I would love it if they did, but it's like, can you imagine being like, we're gonna sell it as like the shake, and it like mysteriously kills everybody, and like I don't see, I don't see a bunch of marketers being like, yeah, that's a great idea. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gone south a little bit. <laughs> I love it, though. I, I agree with Keith. There's so many clever ones. It's just, it's so good. There really is. There really is. You got to sift through a lot of dark content, but there's some gold in there for sure. Well, I want to see the gold ones because I saw all dark <laughs> where I was like, I got to I gotta turn this off because I feel like I'm, it, I'm doing naughty stuff. And like somebody's going to look over my shoulder and be like, who is this? No, that's great. Awesome. All right. I think that's all we've got. Yeah. Well, uh, should we wrap? Yeah. So, yeah. Denise, thank you so much for joining. You are obviously one of my favorite marketers, period. We were very excited to have you on. This was fantastic. Maybe episode whatever it will be, 50, 60, 70 next year. We'll do it live in Cannes, on stage, yes. on the beach. That's what I'm pitching. Thank you so much, Denise. This yeah. is awesome. All right.
Thanks for listening. And for more of the latest news on what's happening in influencer marketing and the creator economy, check out the Creator Economy Insider newsletter delivering awesome content straight to your inbox every Friday. And if you want to meet Brendan and I in person, along with some of the incredible guests that will be joining us on the show live and in person, join us at Creator Economy Live on January 17th next year. You can find links to the newsletter and more info on the live event in our bio. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by Linkia, the number one influencer marketing partner for the world's leading brands. Having executed over 3,000 campaigns for more than 650 brands, Linkia combines technology powered by Google Vision AI with award-winning service to deliver measurable influencer results.